As Iggy said, welcome to service today. Also, as Iggy pointed out, it's a weird day. It's not every January uh, 29th that it's like 40 degrees out. Um, so I hope we're enjoying that. Steve, I hope you're enjoying that. Um, my name is, is Connor. Uh, I moved up here about a year and a half ago from sunny South Florida, and I, for one, I'm a fan of all the white stuff that's on the ground. Uh, I like the cold. I've, I've grown to like the cold. Um, but what we have in here is, again, as Iggy pointed out, so warm. And not just in, in temperature, but uh, in, in atmosphere. I come here and I see people smiling. I see people offering to support people and help people. And I'm just really privileged to be, to be here and to be a part of you guys. So thank you for welcoming me. Um, I, I really cherish it. Um, but so we've been talking about, again, again, as Iggy said, about this sermon series called The Way of Life. And we've been studying out together the book of Luke. And we're going to be continuing to go now till Easter, studying this book of Luke to learn as a community the way of life that Jesus came on earth to introduce. And we definitely invite you to study out the book of Luke on your own alongside the sermons. I did the math today. So we're reading Luke 10. If you read 1.4 chapters a week... You will finish the book of Luke by Easter. And so you'll wrap up at the same time as we wrap up the lesson. 1.4 chapters a week. We can do it. Um, with that, um, let's pray and then we'll crack on into it. Lord, you are so, so good. You're a great father. You are such a good guide. Um, you're, you're the forerunner of, of the life that we are now living. You've, you've done it all. Um, and, and I'm so, so grateful, and so are my brothers and sisters, that we can look into the Gospels and see how you did it. Um, God, as we study out the book of Luke together uh, as a community, just please tug at our hearts, encourage us, give us mad joy, give us conviction, God. Lead us to obedience so we can see the fruits promised by you. Uh, Lord, we love you so much. You can just open our hearts to your scripture. Amen. Amen. So... My title is disappointing. Uh, Fred came with an awesome title last time. My title is just The Way of Life dash Luke 10. <laughs> but it's going to be really easy to remember what we talked about today by the title. We talked about Luke 10. Um, so let's open up to that passage to Luke 10. Uh, and I'm really excited to share what I have with you guys, principally because... This was one of those passages that I struggled to grasp from. Um, I spent the time that I could this week looking at this passage and, and really wrestling with it. And um, especially, we're going to be looking at verse 1 through 24 today. Um, and I would read this passage. And like, have you ever read a passage where you're reading and you continue to read? And like, maybe you're taking notes and you're at like verse 1 through 24. Amen. And then you keep going. Like, that's just all your notes. Like, oh, amen. Or like, that was all right for a whole section. That was me with this. That's like, that's like numbers. Like, okay, I just read three chapters of numbers. Thank you, God, for this. And then you move on to the next thing. Your notes may not be super, uh, super spontaneous there. So uh, I'm really excited to share with you guys what I have because uh, it, was a, it, was, it, was, it was kind of a, a struggle for me to, to read this and see. And really, I think what I was struggling with while studying out Luke 10 was the question, does this apply to me? So I read Luke 10, um, and the passage that we're going to read, uh, it, it seems really contextual. Jesus is talking to 72 individual people, and he gives them this individual mission, and it doesn't really look kind of like the way that we do things now. And so I'm like, oh, man, this is, 
is this super contextual? Does this apply to me? So I had a great conversation, and in that conversation, I was reminded of two passages at the end of John, and I'll just read them for us real quick. The very last verse in John, in 21 uh, verse 25, says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. Jesus did a lot on earth, and we can see that because we have four different accounts of his life, but Jesus did even way more than what's present in these books. The disciples at the time, these authors inspired by the Holy Spirit, put what they did in Scripture for a reason. But what is that reason? If you take it back just one chapter from John 21, we go to John 20, 30 through 31, says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, the things that are recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen. You know, there were thousands of things that the gospel authors could have included, but they chose what they chose to help us understand the life that Jesus lived and the way of life that we're called to live. Amen. And I think that transcends John. I think that's totally true for Luke, Matthew, and Mark as well. Um, so I'm going to share three of these principles as I was struggling with this question. And does this apply to me? What can I get to to share or even get to apply to my life. And I really came away with three principles from this passage that have helped me understand better the way of life that I'm trying to live. The way of life that I I started way back November 30, 2018. For some of us, that's not way back. Praise God for your wisdom and your experience. For some of us, that is way back. I was was just 18 in those days, and it seems like a long time ago. Um, But I started back then, and so um, these are three principles that I've taken from this passage to help me learn. And although I didn't have a title or a great title for the lesson, I have titles for these little principles. So you'll see where the thought went. Um, The first principle is that the Lord of the harvest sends me. The Lord of the harvest sends me. So we're going to start in Luke 10, reading the first 16 verses. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre uh, and, and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted into the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. 
but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. So you can kind of see why I, you know, maybe you see why I struggled with maybe how contextual this passage is. Because when we think of this, of, of a call to maybe, maybe this call being sent, a lot of times like, man, how could we, how could we uh, be sent into the place that we're at? And I was like, man, well, these disciples are getting sent. They're told not to take anything, just go and then come back. And I'm like, oh, that's not really my experience with, with, with my walk with Jesus. But um, I think as I was reading this, I realized that Jesus called the disciples here to something extraordinary, to something really, really special. And, you know, at this time, almost all the disciples had been following Jesus for their whole discipleship. Uh, they're like walking in his footsteps, going the places he went. They would oh, see him heal some, somebody and then say something. And that was awesome. That makes me want to follow him. We'll go to the next town and then we'll follow him here and we'll see him do this. Uh, these disciples were, were following Jesus and they were seeing Jesus do these incredible things. Now, for, for the first time with these 72 disciples, Jesus is calling them to go ahead of him. So previously they had been following him this whole way. Now he's saying, you're going to go ahead of me. Um, he's calling them to travel to places where Jesus hadn't been yet. And like most of these 72 probably never healed anybody uh, in the ways that Jesus did. Most were unfamiliar with ever talking about the kingdom of God. Shoot, like Jesus still has a couple of, of, of years of his ministry to define and still continue on what the kingdom of God actually is. We're, again, there's like 24 books in Luke and we're right here at Luke 10 and Jesus is telling, oh, you should go tell people about the kingdom. Jesus still has so much to, to even talk about it. And so this is really an extraordinary call. Jesus says, I'm not there yet, not, not in that place, but I want you to go out and set it up for me. And this is an extraordinary call because it's not an ordinary call. You know, it, it wasn't what they're used to. And I can imagine that they were uncomfortable, especially at that, like, sending the sheep among the wolves line. I think when, when, when Steve invited me up here, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, you're going to go on campus and you're going to get kicked out in like an hour. Probably like, maybe, maybe we don't go to campus today. Maybe, maybe we hang back or, oh, man, yeah, Connor, if you come up to Portland, you're going to get like eaten. That's how it's going to feel. Portland sounds great, uh, Steve. I'm sure you're going to love it up there. That's awesome. Uh, it wasn't an ordinary call, and I can imagine hearing this wasn't comfortable. You know, for, for me, the first time really talking to people about my faith was maybe one of the most physically and, like, viscerally uncomfortable things I'd ever done. Um, I think, like, the first time I really went out sharing was, like, two months into my discipleship. And the first month of my discipleship, after a, a fired-up week, go back home to Orlando off of campus, no disciples around me, get back to all the good stuff. I was smoking weed, wasn't, wasn't reading the Bible or praying. It was ghosting, like, everybody in the campus ministry that I had just met that I'd be like, yeah, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, and then I didn't talk to them the whole month. So I'm coming back in January, like, oh, man, like, I really, really got to get it together. Um, and then the campus minister, and then one of my best friends who had just became a Christian as well, the three of us were like, okay, let's go out and share our faith. And I remember, we're, so we had this library building where there was a pathway, like, it was almost like a tunnel under the library building, and that's where everybody would go at a certain time. And so we got there, like, you know, the classes got out, everybody was walking, and so the campus minister went one direction, started talking to mad people. My best friend went one direction, started talking to mad people. I found the bench. And I sat on the bench, and I was like, whew, whew, I was sweating, I was sweating, I was waiting, I was like, does that person look... Ooh, I don't know. Oh, okay, that person's not going to say anything to me. Uh, okay, no, I don't know if I can talk to that person. They've got an interesting shirt. 
Like I was making so many excuses and then it took me like 15 minutes. Okay, it's time to talk to this person. And I get up and like, I kid you not, it feels like I'm like pulling weights. I'm like walking and I'm stepping and I'm like walking up to this person and then they pass. And so like, I'm like walking behind them and I'm playing the whole conversation in my head. And I'm like, oh, they're going to say this and then I'm not going to have an answer. It's like, I get like right here and then I turn back around and go back to my bench. And I'm like, who just saw that? Now they're going to think I'm crazy walking behind people and then going back to my bench. I sit down at the bench and I'm like, you know what? I have to go use the the bathroom. And then I go and I just like sit in the bathroom for like 20 minutes. I come back to my bench and they're like, oh yeah, man, I set up Bible study here. I set up Bible study here. I'm like, you guys are inspiring. (laughs) The next four experiences were just like that for me. Uh, it was the same, man, I'm fighting every muscle in my body to even like stand up and talk to people. Um, the call to talk to people about uh, this, this faith that can feel uh, controversial uh, when you're talking to people, this faith that means a ton, a ton to us, but we don't know how it's going to be interpreted by somebody else, can feel mad uncomfortable. And I can imagine these 72 were feeling that way, especially because Jesus is like, yeah, don't take a purse, don't take sandals, just go and trust me. Um, You know, this is the call that these 72 followers of Jesus got. Um, But this call that they got 2,000 years ago is just as important, applicable, and serious of a call for us today as it was back then. We see that in Matthew 28. We see that in the way that the early church in Acts lived in so many different ways. But what is the call? The call is for us in the same way to heal the sick and to tell them about the kingdom of God. That's verse 9. Heal the sick who are, who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. We have got to love our neighbor. We have got to love our coworkers. We've got to love the fellow students we meet. We've got to love the people that we meet in this place or that place. We've got to help them. This much is clear. It's so clear that being a disciple is dependent on how we love people. Yet I can think of so many times where I've been able to show people this love, show somebody love in a big or a small way, but I don't mention a thing about why I'm showing them love. I may be able to help them or give them a ride or, or serve them or spot them some food and then dap them up and leave. And I'm like, okay, I loved them. That was great. But the call here, right, is to heal and to help people, but also to tell them about the kingdom. Healing someone without telling them about the kingdom is an incomplete fulfillment of the call that we have here as disciples. It's important. It's important. We're going to change Portland. We're going to change these different places by by loving the people here. But the change is going to stick when we tell them why we're doing it, when we give them the reason why. And this call may be just as uncomfortable as it was back then. It probably is just as as uncomfortable Um, Now, I hope you haven't got the message that there are wolves out there waiting to devour you outside of this room. I don't think so. I've I've never been threatened on on USM campus, so we're good. Um, But it's it's okay if this is as uncomfortable as a call to hear. Um, I get nervous to share sometimes, even today. Again, it's been like four years and a couple months. And sometimes when I go out sharing, I'm like, I really have got to psych myself up. I do a couple of laps of prayer real quick. I'm like, God, this is, and I have to reassure myself and I have to ask for reassurance. I get nervous. Sometimes I get doubtful to share. Like, do I know enough to talk about this person or, or to talk to this person about God? Will inviting them to, to community group or, or an event that we're having really change anything for them? Will they even care like to stop to me? Or what if I lose a friend 
if I say this, if I help them and then try to talk about the kingdom. And these doubts can come into my head. Uh, but the thing is, a disciple doesn't run from this discomfort. You know, the ultimate aim of a Christian life, believe it or not, is not a comfortable relationship with God. I think that that's something that the modern American church has done a great job at sharing with people because a relationship with God is necessary. It is so good. It's a source of joy. It's a source of security. And I can understand why that is the most pivotal thing that people are sharing about, and we should be. But a comfortable relationship with God? Man, hearing Fred's sermon last, last week, and even reading this, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves, does not sound comfortable to me. <laughs> Walking from city to city without sandals does not sound comfortable to me. Uh, relying on people to feed me. I love free food, but I love consistent food as well. I love being fed consistently. And so going out and like, maybe if I find the right house with peaceful people, they're going to feed me. That's not super comfortable of, a, of an idea. Um, as a disciple, we're, we don't run from the discomfort. Um, you know, the aim of a Christian life is not a comfortable relationship with God. The aim of a Christian life is to be like Christ. But we also can't forget that a huge step in becoming like Christ is trust. We need to trust what Jesus says here is true. We need to trust verse 16. And I'll read that again. It says, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. You know, when people reject what we're saying, will we trust what Jesus says here is true? Are we going to trust in the words of Jesus? Or will we think that, oh, I'm not a good enough evangelist. If I just knew this one thing, it would have been better and they would have become a Christian. Are we going to trust what Jesus says here? You know, when people don't seem interested in what we're inviting them to, will we think that we're inadequate or we're insufficient in our knowledge or persuasiveness? Or instead, are we going to trust what Jesus says here is true? The thing is, is that trust is built over time. Trust is, is, a, is a trust-building process. The bravery to accept my responsibility in this call uh, has taken me years to build, a lot of getting nervous. And especially in 2019 and 2020 before COVID came, we had like a campus ministry group chat back in Miami. And people said, oh yeah, I'm gonna go share. Who wants to come with me? I'm like, oh, there's like 65 members in this group chat. Somebody will respond to them. Uh, so for, for, for a good amount of my discipleship, I, I was in this trust-building phase. I, I, I started from the ground and had to build it up. And so I don't want you guys to feel like if, man, if there is this discomfort, if there is this thing, like it's a process to build trust to be able to answer this call. You know, I, I'd imagine that some of the 72 disciples here in this call were, were feeling the same physical intimidation about this that I can feel, that I felt in my first couple months. The thing is, is that God has called each and every one of us throughout the scriptures to help heal this world and share why we do it. What happens when the disciples accepted this call? That brings me to my next little point right here. They did what he said. That's the second thing that I got from this passage that really helped me bring it to me in today is that they did what he said. Let's read Luke 10, 17 through 22. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. 
He replied, Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At the time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one who... No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. The disciples, these 72, did what Jesus said. They got this call, and it was uncomfortable, it was tough, and maybe they're looking for the bench to sit down. But they got up and they did this call. And the fruit of the trust, the fruit of them hearing Jesus say, verse 16, and buying into that reality, the fruit of that was joy. They came back to Jesus and they're fired up, which in turn gets Jesus fired up. Like imagine if you being hyped could get God hype. Like you're God's like hype man almost. And Jesus was so fired up that midway through talking to the disciples, he just breaks out into prayer. I don't know if you have like that one family member who, when any sort of good news, like, hallelujah, praise God, amen, Jesus. And like, that is exciting for me to see. That's awesome that your mind goes there. And this is what Jesus is, is almost saying. He's like, at that time, Jesus is full of joy through the Holy Spirit and breaks out talking to God. Imagine being so joyful that Jesus turns to joy and praise to God. Like, I see the 72 here stepping out on faith to fulfill a call that Jesus gave them. And the crazy thing is that the promises that he made, the promises that Jesus made, were vindicated. They were proven true. This is how trust is built. This is how joy is built. Like, I totally believe God puts the promises he does in Scripture, not in just this passage, but all throughout Luke, all throughout the Gospels, because he wants us to believe that he is telling the truth. He wants us to live in a way that his promises are reality. And that's how trust is built. We hear something from God, we hear a promise, and we live that out, and we see how that promise comes true. That is the trust-building process. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's okay to be at different stages of this trust-building process. Mm -hmm. If you need that first seed of trust, man, take a promise, find something that may be a little uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. and test it. And go and answer a call from Jesus. If this is that call, other calls in the gospel, if this is that call... Test that promise. See it come true. If you're like, oh man, I'm ready for that next big step of trust. Try, try something crazy. There's a lot of crazy stuff in Luke. Uh, I think especially in Luke, Luke 6 and 7 is probably some of the most radical stuff in the entire Bible. That if we, if we really lived that way, it, it would be insane. Um, so we all have some growth in that way to do. But this is how trust is built. The 72 stepping out on faith to be obedient to a call of Jesus and seeing how the promise came true. I think like these, these disciples were, were equipped by Jesus as well. It says that they were given authority to trample snakes and scorpions. And I reckon it's not literal snakes and scorpions, but, but the demons and, and, and the evil things that's in the world. I think Steve did, did a lesson about uh, the powers and principalities. And I think what, what we've got to tap into is this more spiritual side. Like the disciples are talking about the demons and then Jesus mentions Satan. 
even when Jesus is teaching about prayer in, in Luke 11, he, he starts in verse 11 saying, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is saying in Luke 11 that if we ask for the Spirit, God's going to give it to us. And if we ask for the empowerment to help heal people, to help answer this call in verse 9, and to tell them about the kingdom, God is going to empower us. He empowered his disciples to have the authority to trample over these spiritual forces. You know, we've got to have confidence in God that the things he says are reality. That the things God says are true. We need to believe that there are going to be people who reject what we share. That's, that's got to be something that we understand. That no matter what we do, there are going to be people who reject. Even, even okay, when we help them, when we show them love, and it was this great thing, and then we tell them, hey, the kingdom of God, however we present that, people are going to reject what we share. We've got to believe that. But we've got to believe that that's not based off of our own merit or how good we love them or how little we love them or our wisdom or our eloquence. But they reject us because... They reject God. We've got to be prepared for this. And we've got to believe that God will take care of those situations. These 72 disciples, they went out, uh, like understanding that they were going to get persecuted. But they went out in spite of that. We also need to believe, though, that there are going to be people who want to hear about the gospel. Mm -hmm. That there are going to be people who are open to being healed and hearing about our reason for why we want to heal people, for why we want to heal them, for why we did that action. We've got to believe that there are going to be people who are open. We don't want to be too caught up in the fact that, man, oh, there's so many closed people out there. We also don't want to be caught up in the fact that, man, if only I was a little better, everybody would be open. We've got to take Jesus at his word and trust him. The thing with the open people is we've got to go out and find them. And so Jesus starts this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We've got to go out and find these people who are open. And Jesus called the disciples to move on from the people who weren't trying to hear about the gospel. Not to stay and convince them to let them in. He didn't say, man, go to, go, go to a house and if the person's not peaceful, you should have a 40-minute conversation and convince them to be peaceful. Jesus says, go, ask them if they're peaceful, try to show them peace. If they reject it, find the next house. Jesus wants, wanted these 72 to move on and try and find people who are open, who do want to hear these things. Amen. You know, the moments when I doubt if sharing my faith is really worth it in Portland are when I've had my third or, far, or, like my third or fourth conversation with somebody who just isn't ready or willing to hear about the gospel. I'm like, man, is the gospel just not powerful enough to change their perspective? Or like, are like the scientific proofs about how science and God can coalesce, is that just not convincing enough? Is, they're like, is my faith not strong enough? What's wrong with this? Why am I even bothering trying to share with this person? Why am I bothering trying to share in general? Because is, like, is this actually as powerful as I thought it was? These are the moments when I doubt is when I'm trying to convince the people who just aren't open. Instead of going out and finding somebody who is open. Amen. To trying to love somebody and tell them the reason why I'm doing it. The moments when I experience this same level of joy that they experience here, they're all coming together super hype, is a day like, like last Tuesday. It was the first day of campus, and uh, pretty much all of us in the campus ministry, we were out there sharing our faith right here in USM Portland. 
Um, we met tons of open people. We had great conversation. People exchanged numbers. People have been coming out to some of our events. Um, and it's been really cool to, to, to try and build a community here and trying to find people who are open. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's important for us to have experiences where we go out and we're sharing with people, but we're trying to find people who want to hear what we have to share. Um, the 72 trusted the words of Jesus and followed them. And joy was their fruit. And their joy was made complete when they rejoined one another and celebrated together, which is what I actually see here. And that's the third little point right here. What do I see? When I'm reading this passage, I take away, man, the Lord of the harvest is sending me. These disciples, man, they obeyed. They did what he said. And I think of what do I see? And I think of that primarily because of verse 23 and 24. Let's read that. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So many people throughout history were waiting to see and experience what Jesus was bringing to the world now at this point. You know, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 tells us about the great men and women of faith that we read about Genesis and different books in the Bible. These people who did these awesome things and we hear the stories about them and take great faith from them. These great men and women of faith, they themselves were looking forward to the reality that God brought to the world through Jesus. They were waiting for what Jesus brought, the kingdom of God. That is what people were waiting for. And Jesus used the 72 to bring news of the arrival of the kingdom to a bunch of different people. Thus, a bunch of different people would be able to know about the way of life Jesus was bringing at that time. And I actually can't help but feel like Jesus is speaking to me right now, like with verse 23 as I stand here. He says, blessed are you, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. And I'm standing here, I feel blessed to be seeing what I'm seeing right now. Like, I'm so blessed to have you guys. I, I feel blessed not only to know God and, and, and to know the truth and to have been set free and to be given such a healthy, good framework for my life, but to be a part of the kingdom, part, part of the church, um, around people who are trying hard to do this as well. And that looks great for my life. I have such security in, in so many um, friendships, in so many mentoring relationships. I get to learn so much from you guys. I have an outlet to be able to serve you guys. Like it's, I feel so blessed to be here and blessed to see what we, what I see. We're definitely not perfect in here. I sure am not. If you know me, you know, Um, but by and large, we are blessed to have what we have in this room and with the fellowship outside of this room on a grander scale. I'm blessed with the access to the truth and blessed to be around people who are trying hard to live out the truth with me. Like just take a second and, and look around. Like we, we've got to be thankful for what we've got here. And we can't forget the life that we were called out of and how our life is different from then now. We can't forget whether it was months ago, whether it was years ago, where it was decades ago. Part of trusting and answering this call lies in the fact that, man, our lives look so totally different and we're blessed because of it. We're blessed to have changed. And we're blessed to know the God who changes us. This is the hope that we must have for the sake of the people that we meet. There is truth and joy and security and hope and purpose in the kingdom of God. This is what we've got and we've been called to share that. 
you know, when we read Luke 10, we've got to ask ourselves with this passage, does this apply to us? God would not have had this in the Bible if it wasn't deeply meaningful. If we're going to accept the call of our discipleship that is to change the world, which is totally our call, totally what we are called to do, we've got to answer this call. We've got to live to this even more than what we're doing right now. The call that Jesus gave was a call to heal people and bring them the news of God. And we've got to learn on how we can adapt that into the framework of our lives. How we can submit to this call and be like, okay, they've got called to heal people, to help people, and tell them about the kingdom. How do I see that in my life? How do I see the opportunity for that in my life? How, how do I need to build the trust to get to that point? Maybe, maybe I'm not there to go share with 50 random people in, in Hannaford. How do I get the trust to share with one person? How do I get the trust to share with somebody I know or somebody I don't? You know, the promise is that we'll meet those who reject what we say. Yet not because of us, but because they reject God. And the promise is that we'll also meet those who are open and who will be drastically healed and changed by the message of the gospel. The expectation of this call is obedience. The disciples did what they said, did what Jesus said. The result of this obedience is joy. And the product of our effort in trying to meet this call and trying to build the trust, uh, to build the trust, the product of our effort is building up the kingdom of God, is building, yes, our own relationships and yes, our community. And so I want us just to take a moment. Let's take a moment to reflect on the call that Jesus gave his disciples here in Luke 10. It's okay to feel intimidated or nervous It's okay to be at the starting place of building that trust. It is totally okay to be there now. But I want all of us just to take a moment and reflect and think ahead on how we we might be able, how may we answer this call in the future. I'll pray for communion after just a minute of reflection.